So, good morning, everybody. Uh, you can see that the uh, PowerPoint is ready to go this week. I, I, I learned something about myself last week, and I learned something about uh, the universities. I'll just put it that way. I, I took a lot of uh, classes about preaching and a lot of classes about spiritual growth, Bible classes, theology classes. I took a lot of classes about church in general and God. And not one of them classes taught me how to turn this thing on so I could use <laughs> the PowerPoint system. <laughs> so apparently, my wife, Jay, come last week after church. He was like, you got to turn the power on right there. <laughs> I never even looked on the side of it to see if anyway. So now we know. Here's your scriptures for this morning. This is our final uh, sermon in our series uh, about the spiritual disciplines uh, that we hopefully are able to uh, find a place in our hearts and in our Christian lives to allow them to grow and become whatever God wants them to be, you know, and uh, become what God wants us to be for him and for his glory and for his purposes, right? Last week we talked about confession, which might have been tough for some, maybe not so much for others, but it also uh, should have been very challenging at, at, at least. And uh, if it wasn't challenging, I would uh, step out on a limb and say you probably weren't listening. Okay, and I don't mean that ugly or nothing like that. I just mean that all of us deal with things that we need to talk to God about. And all of us every day need to be in constant conversation with God, which is what all of these disciplines have been about, haven't they? All of the disciplines we have talked about over the last six weeks have been about our relationship with God and our relationship with people and how we function in the kingdom of God. So take joy and take encouragement and be glad that we have the information and all of the things that God has provided for us so we're not left on our own. We're not left in the dark about what about God and what about this relationship and what about this life that we live called Christianity, right? So I I purposely chose to wait until the end to talk about the discipline of worship because I think all of it leads up to what what I would consider the product of worship. Worship is a product of who you are in Christ. It's something that is derived from all of these other things, the prayer, the fasting, the confession, the, the, all of everything that we've ever talked about, the Bible study. The more we get to know God, the more we live the life of worship. Notice what I said? Not the more we worship, but the more we live the life of worship. Hopefully that's a hint of where we're going. If I say to y'all... What comes to your mind when I say the word worship? What would you say? Praise. All right. I mean, right now what we're doing, we're coming to church, right? Most people would say, go to church on Sunday morning and worship. And that, that, would, be, that would not be inaccurate. Because that is one of the many things that we uh, attempt to do and uh, purpose to do on Sunday morning. Is to worship our Lord together. But then the next question has to be, is that the only time that we worship our Lord? 
Should it be the only time that we worship our Lord? Right? Always. Right? Always. We're going to talk a few, about a few things about worship this morning, and then I'm going to try to read a, little, a short, a short uh, really short story about some, uh, a man. And I hope that when we leave here today, we at least are reminded, if not have learned, something about worship that we didn't know before. Or reminded of something we may have neglected or forgotten or at least kind of got pushed back. Right? Because worship is more than singing songs on Sunday morning. However, singing songs on Sunday morning is a form of worship, isn't it? And I, I don't know about you, but when we sing songs together and we all sing out like you guys do, that's a powerful thing. And you should sing out not because you're a Christian and you're required to, because you're here at church on Sunday. You should sing out because the words that we're singing mean something to you. And they're connected to something about your relationship with God. You see how it becomes a product of your faith and a product of your relationship with God, this worship. All right, so let's go into Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 uh, through 6. Hopefully this will be familiar to most everybody. Even if someone's not a Christian, they should know this because it's quoted all the time and it's talked about all the time. Verse 1 says this in chapter 20 of Exodus, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. There's a period in my Bible at that point. Verse 4 says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord uh, God, your God, am uh, a jealous God. You ever wonder what that means? I'm a jealous God, he says. Of course, we understand that when it comes to who we are and our behavior and our characteristics and, and who we become in Christ, jealousy is not a great thing, is it? It produces bad things in our life. But God is God and he's perfect and he can do whatever he wants to do and he's jealous. He doesn't want you to worship anybody else but him. Now we know this is the first what? The first commandment by God. It's not the first request. It's not the first suggestion. It's the first command meant by our Lord, the God who created you and me and everything else in existence. That tells me it's not an option. Y'all agree with that? All right, y'all. It's cold outside. It's only February, but we can say amen in February. Amen. Right? <laughs> we can get excited about what we're reading, even though, even if it's convicting you, you can be excited about it. Because God's grace is way bigger than any failures we could ever talk about. Right? So even if we're falling short in anything that we discuss we can always say, praise the Lord, because I have an opportunity to improve. Right? So that's why I say your life is your worship. The way you live your life is worship. Everything you do, how you praise him, how you pray to him, how you encourage others, how you love others, how you love him with the way that you walk and talk every day, 
how you respond to what goes on in the world. Your witness. The presence of God in your life. How you love. And how you respond to not being loved. How you respond to being offended is your worship to our holy God. You ever thought about it that way? I mean, do you think about it in that moment on, 26, on the Highway 26 when somebody cuts you off and you're trying to get off at the next exit and you're aggravated? Do you think about your worship? Guilty. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm guilty. I'm like, what? I'm trying to get out of my way. You can't worship God and be ugly at the same time. You get it? Thank God for repentance, amen? Because you can say, oops. Repentance is just us saying to God, oops. But it's a little bit more meaningful than that, isn't it? It's us realizing that God is God and we failed him and we get to start over. Should we repent? Should we humble ourselves and confess and repent? He says, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one that's done all this stuff. I'm the one that saved you from your sins. I'm the one that provides for you. I'm the one that's created all of this. And he could just keep going on forever and ever. And at the end, if there was ever an end, which there probably wouldn't be, would there be any reason not to worship him? Hello? So, who or what is the object of our worship? Right now, in a general sense, I'm going to ask you to question who or what is the object of our worship. And everybody in the room, because we're at church especially, is going to say what? God. I'll say it for you. God is the object of our worship. But when we leave the doors and Monday comes around and everybody's got to go back to work, sleep is the object of our worship. We know that because you hit the snooze button seven times. Whatever are the desires of our heart is the strongest is the object of our worship. It seems that way, doesn't it? It seems that way. Now, it's not always necessarily true. Sometimes we just need some extra sleep. It doesn't mean we don't love God. It doesn't mean we don't want to worship God. It just means that we're not paying attention to what's going on. Sometimes, sometimes certain things in life come up and we begin to be obsessed with those things in our life. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on something in your life as long as it doesn't become bigger than God. Or it's not sinful. Right? But anything that comes more important than God or bigger than God or, or puts God on the back burner becomes something that we begin to worship. And that includes self, by the way. Self is the most worshipped God, little g, God there is in, in existence. So, God alone is to be worshipped. There's to be no one equal to God. There is to be nothing equal to God. Not even His creation, not even this planet should be worshipped. The Creator is worshipped. Right? Hello? Not even this church building or any other church building should be worshipped. And if anything stands in the way of the will of God or the progress of God's kingdom in our lives or the life of this congregation, then we are in danger of falling here when it comes to worshiping something other than God. 
Okay, try to follow me because I don't want to start talking in riddles and confuse myself or anybody else. But it's only through the blood of Jesus that we're even able to worship. The one who should be worshipped. The one who deserves to be worshipped. The one who demands worship. Right? So that's the first thing. Worship is a command. Right? Worship is what we do. It's who we are. It's the object of worship is our God. Now, the second thing, the priority of worship. Now, it's easy to say God is my God, and he'll always be my God, and I'll always go to church, and I'll always serve in the ministries that I see that I could help and do work in, and whatever the Lord leads us to do. It's easy to drive around singing our worship songs on the radio and having scripture on our desks and on our refrigerators and all over the place in our lives, But is it the first thing we think about every day and the last thing we think about when we go home? Worshiping God. Living our life for the one who died for us. Is it the first thing we think about? If Jesus could do what he did, then what can I, what can I do to honor God and bring glory to his kingdom? What can I do that says to the world, and especially to God, that Jesus died for me? It's one thing to stand on a street corner and say Jesus is Lord and he loves you, which is all great things. Jesus died on the cross for you, which is all great things. Right? It's, it's, all, it's one thing to have bumper stickers and t-shirts. Not sinful, just, it's just what it is. But if we're not living our life like somebody died for us, and we had no hope if that didn't happen, then we're falling short of worship, aren't we? We're falling short of our lives being a song of worship to our holy God whose love is limitless, whose grace is limitless, whose strength is limitless. Y'all get it? So, is he your God? Is he your Lord? Answer must be yes. If it's no then one, there's no worship, and two, it doesn't matter because he's not your Lord, so why would you worship him? This is where we, ha- we found ourselves when we found ourselves uh, guilty of sin and living as a rebel against God, as a sinner. Before we got saved, this is where we found ourselves, living a life for something else other than God, not realizing that there is a God who loves us so much that he would send Jesus to die so that we can be saved from our own sins. And once we notice what the reality of that means to us personally, the first act of worship is to repent and say, God is God and I'm not. And I need him. Prodigal son, we talked about in Sunday school. He was in the pig, he was in the, the pig slop. He was eating the leftovers of what the pigs didn't want. And the Bible says he came to himself. And he ran home to the Father. First act of worship in a person's life. And from then on, it carries on. It's like a never-ending worship song, your life, your Christian life. It should never end. It should never be over. It should continue to intensify. You know some of them songs that are real soft in the beginning and they're real nice and everybody loves them and then they get so powerful that everybody in the room is standing up by the time 
you get to the end of it and everybody's praising God and it's all for God. And the feelings of God's presence is there. That should be the Christian life. And when you leave this world and go into the presence of God because of your faith that Jesus is the Christ, you should just go right on into worshiping God with the rest of eternity. Because you're already doing it. See? And you don't have to try to do it. It's not something you work hard to do. It's a product of your faith. It's a product of your relationship with God. It's a product of what God has done for you. It's a product of what you know about God. Mark, Mark 12, verse 30 says this, just as what Jesus taught. He says, when he was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. How many times did it say all? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Four times. All means all. It means with everything. It means in the beginning you worship. In the end you're worshiping. Everything in between you're worshiping. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever been around somebody that was uh, uh, maybe the type of person where something needed to be said but everybody's too nice to say it and it takes everything you have in you to stop from saying it because it's rude to say it? Right? You've been in those situations. Don't tell me you haven't. Everybody has. It's like, this guy, this guy right here needs to be told something. I mean, I'm not going to be the one because, I mean, and it keeps on, and you're just holding your tongue back, and you're like, stop talking, please. You're holding it in with everything you have, and that's the way we should worship. What are we holding back for? What is there that God doesn't deserve? What part of you that God doesn't deserve? What part of you that God didn't pay for with the blood of Christ? What part of your mind? What part of your heart? What part of your soul? What part of your strength did Jesus not purchase on the cross? Right? When you're by yourself out in the wilderness, your worship ought to be strong. It ought to be genuine. It ought to be clear transparent it ought to be full of life and when you're with others whether it's in a group of believers like we are this morning or when you're with other people who you don't know who you don't know if they're believers or not your worship should be identical to what it was when you were by yourself just you and God there's there's this story that I want to try to, I'm going to read it because I don't know the language of orchestra people. You know, that crowd of people that play music, orchestra, instruments, and they direct. And I like to hear some of it, right? And I wouldn't be opposed to sitting and listening to it, but I'm not in that circle, so I don't know the language. So I'm just going to read it because it, it helps the story. It says, a story is told of a famous violinist who was to perform to a concert hall of, wor of world renown. As he stood before the packed house that night and played his violin, he mesmerized the audience with his prowess and skill. As he lifted his bow off the string on his final note, the hall erupted with thunderous applause and he was given a standing ovation. 
He looked at the crowd for a moment and walked off the stage only to return to render an encore performance. To the amazement of the masses gathered there that night, his encore performance was even more beautiful and flawless than the first. He looked to the audience and left the stage for the second time, but was beckoned back by the deafening roar of the, multi, the multitudes that once again stood to their feet in, in adulation. He gave yet another encore number, leaving the audience fumbling for words that could describe what their eyes and ears had just experienced. This sequence was repeated several more times until finally this virtuoso of virtuosos finished his piece. Looked to the audience, nodded his head, and simply walked off the stage while the ferocious, ferocious cheers could still be heard long after uh, he exited. Reporters pressed outside the violinist dressing room, waiting to catch a word from the man who had just given the performance of a lifetime. As he emerged from the small room, one reporter asked, asked the question, Sir, why did you give so many encore performances? You could have stopped after the first and everyone would have been amazed. The violinist stopped and replied, For the very first time in my career, my master, the one who taught me to play the violin, was in the audience. When I finished my performance, everyone stood up except for one person. I played again, and everyone stood and applauded except for him. I continued to play. On the conclusion of the last encore, I looked into the seats, and I noticed that everyone, including my master, was standing and applauding. It was only then that I was satisfied that I had done a good job. Yeah? Sometimes people don't sing in church. Sometimes people are timid about talking about God in the public arena. Sometimes it's difficult because of anxieties and worries to live the life that we should be living, the life that Jesus died for us to live because of what we perceive other people think about us. We're looking for the approval of the world or the people in our church. Sometimes people get on stage and they are singing songs to God and they're looking for the approval and the applause of men. Sometimes preachers do the same. But in the end, your worship and my worship, the only one that needs to approve is God. Otherwise, you're not worshiping God. Right? So who cares what anybody thinks about how you worship or how you live your life of worship? How loudly you sing and how poorly you're on note. Whether you mess up or whether you don't, whether you get it just right, whether the sermon flows fluently or not, whether it's got some funny stories or doesn't. In the end, what you do for God and what He calls you to do for Him is His stamp of, of approval that matters. That's worship. Anything else other than that, you're worshiping something else. This is serious, isn't it? 
This is real serious. It's more than just singing songs, right? It's more than just getting up and singing uh, the songs that we sang. Even though the songs that we sang today, I think, were very appropriate for what I'm talking about right now. Yet we still argue about what kind of songs we sing across the world. We still argue about style of music and dress and whether the preacher uses one version or another version. We, we still argue about whether we're going to sit in uh, this uh, fashion or that fashion, whether we're going to stand or kneel. We still argue about the way that we worship. Anybody who's been on a mission trip in any other country but this one in Canada will tell you that you, you'll go and you'll find other people who worship and they sing songs that you'll never know. You will never have heard of. And they sing in ways that we would never even think about singing. They get up and move around sometimes. They meet in different places. They meet wherever they can meet. They write different songs. And who are we to say if that's acceptable or not to God? And who are they to say if what we do is acceptable or not to God? Right? Remember a few weeks ago I said, uh, referred to a commercial that uh, told us all, reminded us all to stay in our lane? My, my life of worship is, is to be what God leads me to, to have it be. And your life of worship is to be what God has you to be, to lead it to be. In other words, I'm going to worship God the way I worship God. And as long as I'm not in sin, and as long as I'm genuine about it, and as long as it's acceptable to God, then praise God for it. And the same is true for everybody else in this room. Now, I was going to use uh, an example of one of our greatest worshipers here, and I'm not saying that as if I'm scoring everybody. Please don't understand that. You'll get it in a minute. But that person is not here this morning, sadly, because there's a water break at the house. But you've noticed over the last several weeks, we can't sing songs without that baby yelling and singing with us in the back of the room. <laughs> she likes music. And she doesn't even know that anybody's listening to her, doesn't care if anybody's listening to her. She sings out because she, likes, she hears music and she wants to sing out. Worship is not a product of how we feel about God. It's not. We need that. Some people think worship is how we feel. It's not how we feel. It's about what we know. It's about, it's about what we know about God. You get it? What you know about God drives how you feel about God. I'm not going to take feelings all the way out of it. But if we're just singing about how we feel... The God of fuzzy wuzzies isn't real. I love God because of what I read about him, what I know about him, and what I've seen him do in my life. I know that God is real, and I know that he loves me, and I know that he's awesome. And I know I'm a sinner, and I don't deserve it. Therefore, when I worship based on what I know 
It's what, it's, it's what I feel about my God. Isn't that awesome? Shouldn't we live like that? Because somebody can come into a church worship time and they can sing and have their hands raised up and, and really mean what they're singing. But if they don't leave this building and live their life with their hands in the air because they love their God and their spiritual uh, life is on fire, then it's all for nothing. What we know about God produces our feelings toward God. Here it is, right here. Going back to our baby in the back of the room. I call it the new baby because that's what it is, but it's funny to me. Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, some more teaching with, by Jesus. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. People were bringing the kids around, the babies around, because they wanted Jesus to pray over them. And the, and the apostles, the disciples at the time, they were like, hey, keep them kids back. Jesus is trying to teach. And Jesus is like, hold up. If y'all would learn to come to me like these kids are coming to me, y'all would be better off. In other words, come to God without anything that our adult minds tell us would prohibit us from doing so. Wide open and innocent. You ever notice that children believe every word their parents tell them? Because their children have no reason to other, other than to believe them that it's true. But it doesn't matter if their parents are lying to them or not. When we're little kids, we believe every word our parents say because that's who we've lived with and that's who we've grown up with and that's who we trust. And if we go to God like that, how much more awesome would our worship be? Go back to eight, uh, chapter 18 and verse 3 to 4. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now it's real serious. Whenever I see scripture say that you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven, I stop and pay attention because I want to know how to miss out on not getting into the kingdom of heaven, right? That's one bus I want to miss. So therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Little children, because their parents and the people in their Sunday school classes tell them that God is awesome and Jesus loves you, they go around the world telling everybody that God is awesome and that Jesus loves you, and they have no reason to believe otherwise. But yet we, get, we somehow grow up and we start thinking about things, and now we have to decide whether that's true or not. And then we have to decide, based on our thinking, whether or not it's time to worship God or not. Whether or not it's worthy of his, it's worthy, he's worthy of his worship based on what we know. Or at least what we think we know. Children are the best example of how to approach God. Because a child will talk about God and not care about anybody else in the room. A child will talk about Jesus and not care about anybody else at their school. Because they have no reason to in their mind be concerned about the, the consequences of it. Isn't that, the, isn't that the Christian life? Do you love Jesus? All right, I'm going to hit the rewind button. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Then let's live like we love Jesus. Jesus died for you. Let's live like somebody died for us. 
Worship is all about the approach to God. I'm closing this down with this verse, and I hope it's not too shocking, but I hope it gets your attention. These are some words that Jesus taught again to one of the churches that he wrote to or spoke to. He says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I want you to leave here encouraged. I want you to leave here on fire for the Lord. I want you to leave here excited that God is our God, Jesus is our Savior, and that there's no other. And that whatever worship we engaged in this morning will continue on for the rest of this week until we come back. That's what I hope. That's what I pray for you all. But I put this scripture up here to close with because I want it to be a, uh, I want it to instigate some thought. And maybe even some prayer between you and you and God, some conversation. Am I lukewarm? Have I been just sitting on the counter, cooling off? Because remember back when you got saved. Remember the day that you said yes to Jesus and you were back home. Remember what happened to you that day. You realized, you came to yourself and you realized that you cannot live eternally without Christ. And you came to a setting out of God's love for you. Remember that day? And some of them might have been not too long ago, but others have been a long time ago. I'll never forget today. I'll never forget today when I realized what Jesus' death on the cross has to do with me in my life.
about you, but I, 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 I hate the thought of God thinking about me like that. Look, y'all. I hate the thought of God thinking about your own life. You know, it, 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 it doesn't want to have to demand us to worship Him. He wants us to want to worship Him, to love to worship Him, to be in such a habit of worshiping Him that it happens automatically. Everything we do is worship. How we sleep, how we how we wake up, how we go to bed, how we live, how we have fun, how we work, how we hug each other, how we love each other, how we hurt and how we cry is all worship. Because that wasn't a long Christian. And look at me. To see what God is. And the same truth.
And you know that the answer is And you know that there's promises. And you know that whatever happens to you in this world, you can't lose if you're Isn't that great? But that's worship. Worship happens with people that you don't want to And you choose not to worship, or you choose not to go to church, or you choose not to sing a song, or you choose not to witness for Christ, or you choose to ignore God because life is hard. You're with And then you go back and then you do some of the other things. It's okay. Everybody's safe. Here's the first thing, like I said, the first thing, the first thing of worship is your name. So I'm going to give you some of the problems that you need to sit there and play. This is what Acts has to do to Jesus. That's what all kinds of people do to Jesus. But Jesus is the only way. And by investigating your sinner and believing that Jesus is the Christ and then repenting and being baptized. So if you have that decision to make today, if you're there, and you want to begin your life of worship, now's the time. Don't worry about anybody else in the room. Don't worry about anybody else in your life. If, if you know that what I just said is true, and you need that, and you want to start your life of worship, come down here and we can handle that here today. We can help you with that. Right? And then no worship God. Ready to sing? Let's stand together and we'll sing.